Hello, my name is Dr. Roger Henderson, and I'm a GP in Dumfries and Galloway, and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to this GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. Now, you can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups. And you can follow me there too, at Roger the Doctor. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for podcast episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, I'm going to be discussing vitamin D prescribing in adults and also vitamin D deficiency. So let's start off basically by looking at what is vitamin D. Well, it's a fat-soluble vitamin that's essential for human health because it regulates calcium and phosphate homeostasis. And so it's absolutely vital for our musculoskeletal health. Now, the vast majority of vitamin D, up to 90%, is synthesized in our own skin in the presence of sunlight, with the remaining 10%, sometimes 20%, sourced directly from our diet. Vitamin D2, ergocalciferol, comes from fungal sources such as mushrooms and supplements, whereas vitamin D3, cholecalciferol, is synthesized in the skin in response to ultraviolet light B. Vitamin D3 is also found in things like oily fish and eggs, fortified foods and supplements. Now, the Royal Osteoporosis Society recommendation is that based on the current medical consensus, as well as problems related to the measurement of vitamin D2, vitamin D3 is recommended as the vitamin D preparation of choice for the treatment of vitamin D deficiency. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about vitamin D3 as a recommended treatment here. So exactly how common is vitamin D deficiency? Well, at latitudes above 40 degrees north, people rely on vitamin D intakes and body stores to maintain their nutritional adequacy of vitamin D all year round. Given that the body stores are largely dependent on sun exposure, then in the absence of enough sun, vitamin D supplementation is critical to health. As the UK is above 40 degrees north, vitamin D insufficiency and full deficiency tends to peak around spring, with up to 50% of the adult population calculated as being vitamin D insufficient and 16% being severely deficient. Now, we now think that lockdown of COVID has caused potentially more people to dip into the deficiency category than previously. In the United Kingdom, our sunlight doesn't contain enough ultraviolet B radiation in the winter months, by which I mean October to early March, for our skin to be able to make sufficient vitamin D. So during these months, we rely on getting our vitamin D from food sources, including fortified foods and supplements. So what are the symptoms and signs of vitamin D deficiency? 
Now, the majority of people with insufficient vitamin D are asymptomatic, but several conditions and symptoms do arise from deficiency. And the common symptoms we tend to see in practice are muscle pain. And this is important because I think, personally, large numbers of people who have been diagnosed with fibromyalgia actually have vitamin D deficiency. Now, one of the messages from the Wayside Pulpit today with this podcast is I would suggest that go away and audit your patients who have been labelled as having fibromyalgia. And if they haven't already had a vitamin D test, do a vitamin D test on them. And you may be very surprised at the number of people with fibromyalgia on their records as being significantly low in vitamin D. Restoring their vitamin D levels to to normal can, in large numbers of those cases, significantly reduce their symptoms or even cure them altogether. Muscle weakness is another well-known symptom, as is fatigue and tiredness. Older people with fragility fractures, obviously, um, we can link to vitamin D deficiency. People with more severe deficiency, though, are obviously likely to show more symptoms, usually relating to bone health, but may initially complain of muscle fatigue. So we should always ask at-risk patient groups about their possible symptoms, if they're in a virtual or telephone consultation, as sometimes the typical visual cues from face-to-face consultations are lost in remote interactions. And people with deficiency may also just show generally vague symptoms which can be misdiagnosed, but obviously they still need treatment. Now, there are large numbers of people who are at risk. Obviously, everyone is potentially at risk, but some are more at risk than others. And the usual suspects here are older people, pregnant and breastfeeding women, infants and children, people with darker skin or people who cover their skin, those who are housebound, in care homes, or long-term hospitalised people, those who have significant dietary restrictions, such as strict vegans, those on certain drugs, and by which I'm thinking of those on anti-epileptics or oral glucocorticoids, and some diseases which can affect the absorption of vitamin D. Now, vitamin D deficiency is responsible for a significant burden of morbidity and mortality for people within these groups, and many of them may not be aware they're at high risk. Just touching on some of these groups in in slightly more detail, people with darker skin, such as those of African, Afro-Caribbean or South Asian origin, do need to spend longer in the sun to produce the same amount of vitamin D as those with lighter skin. And in fact, one study from an inner-city hospital in England showed that severe vitamin D deficiency at the end of summer was found in one in eight white adults, one in four African-Caribbean adults, and one in three Asian adults. Vitamin D obviously provides critical support for a healthy pregnancy, and pregnant women with dark skin do have an increased risk of vitamin D deficiency, although 400 international units, 10 micrograms, is effective at safely increasing vitamin D levels in pregnant women, including those with darker skin pigmentation. 
Vitamin D deficiency in pregnancy is actually very common as calcium demands increase during it. Low concentrations of blood vitamin D in pregnant women may also be associated with pregnancy complications and vitamin D deficiency has been found to be associated with an increased risk of preeclampsia, gestational diabetes mellitus, preterm birth and other tissue-specific conditions. Now, the requirement for bone minerals is highest during phases of rapid growth, and no one grows faster than the fetus and the infant, making them particularly vulnerable. Deprivation of calcium, whether through low calcium intake or low vitamin D, does lead to potentially serious health consequences throughout life, such as hypocalcemic seizures, dilated cardiomyopathy, skeletal myopathy, congenital and infantile rickets, and osteomalacia. If we turn to the older age group now, the risk of vitamin D deficiency generally increases with age. Those risk factors in older people contributing to vitamin D deficiency include a reduced nutritional intake of vitamin D, increasing adiposity, decreased cutaneous synthesis of vitamin D, and less time spent outdoors with subsequent exposure to ultraviolet B light. Vitamin D levels can also be lowered by certain medications, including laxatives, steroids, cholestyramine, phenytoin, and orlistat. And low vitamin D status in the elderly is associated with an increased risk of falls and proximal weakness. So vitamin D supplementation is effective in more vulnerable elderly people such as the institutionalised or those who are prone to falls. The management of vitamin D deficiency is that the routine testing of vitamin D levels is not recommended and should be restricted to those with a clear indication for measurements such as high-risk groups and we should follow the Royal Osteoporosis Society guidelines here. Should an adult patient be deficient, then their recommendation to achieve sufficiency is to load those patients with approximately 300,000 international units given as daily or weekly doses over 6 to 10 weeks. And once replete, a maintenance dose is re recommended. And we typically start this within one month of the last loading dose. For at-risk asymptomatic patients, Loading doses may not be necessary, and lower maintenance doses at 800 international units daily may suffice. Now, there is an area here about licensed versus unlicensed vitamin D preparations. The advice from the Royal College of Physicians and the General Medical Council is that wherever possible, a licensed medicine should be supplied. Generic prescribing can mean that an unlicensed preparation is dispensed. Legal liability always remains with the prescriber, don't forget. And studies have also shown that food supplements may have variable content. They may also contain unregulated excipients, and there can be issues with both under- and overdosing if unlicensed vitamin D is prescribed. The MHRA states an unlicensed medicinal product should not be supplied where an equivalent licensed medicinal product can meet the special needs of the patient.
And licensed medicines also have dedicated medical information services which provide information within 24 hours and adhere to MHRA yellow card reporting. So that's a brief overview of vitamin D deficiency in adults, and I do hope you found the podcast helpful. Do please have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com, and we'd be very grateful if you'd consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions comments or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. So thank you for listening and as always until the next time, goodbye.